Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I just think like age is just a number, like you prove your own destiny and you can learn from anyone and everyone. I would say don't underestimate Gen Z. We're making moves every day and doing big things. Three, two, one. My name is Spree Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the vice president of cloud and security with Clarify 360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Good morning, afternoon, or night. For me, it's 6.45 in the morning. I just woke up, and I'm just trying to think about how I'm organizing the day. The mornings are usually, like, it's dicey. Sometimes they're really easy, and sometimes they're really hard. This morning, I feel, is one of the more complicated ones, and it's usually a headspace thing. And I find if I wake up and I just like get out of bed and I have like, I know it sounds cheesy, but I have like a headspace of gratitude, then I'm, I'm good and I'm on it. But if I wake up and I go to my phone and look at my apps and maybe linger and don't get out of bed right away and then start to think about everything that I have to do, then I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't get out of this bed. And so... It's just so important, like the messages that I tell myself in my head really kind of dictate how my day will go. And so it's something I, I've been reflecting on and how much control do I have over that? And, and can I start becoming really intentional with, with how I wake up and how I think and kind of like start to create the program for my brain. I know, so, so cheesy. Anyway, enjoy the next episode. Welcome back 
to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from New York. Hello, Megan. Hi. Hi. So happy to be here. Megan, I'm like obsessed with the impact that you're creating in the Gen Z space, in the VC space, just for women in tech around the world. Like, ah, I'm just, I'm so into it. Go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Megan Loist. Uh, very happy to be here today. I'm a VC at Lear Hippo. We're the most active early stage investors in New York. So that's my full-time job. And on the side, I'm also the founder of Gen Z VCs, which is a community I created 11 months ago, which has since grown to 11,000 plus members. We're the largest, fastest growing and most engaged community for people in tech and VC, not just women, it's everyone, uh, but really with a focus on young people and Gen Z most, more, more specifically, where there really hasn't been a dedicated home identity or voice or place where really we're, we can empower the next generation to build, to collaborate. And so Gen Z VCs has become that home and identity for the next generation of leaders. So that's a little bit about me and what I do. And you created the Gen Z Summit. Tell us about the Gen Z VC Summit. Uh, yeah, that was a, a summit that we created, and it was a, a joint collaboration between Lear Hippo and Gen Z VCs, my two favorite things. Uh, and so the idea around it was, you know, I speak to tons of Gen Z founders on a day-by-day basis and also Gen Z investors. The community is composed of, it's the name, of, of course, is Gen Z VCs, but the community is founders, students, operators, just a lot of young people that are starting their careers and have very unique pain points. Like for Gen Z founders, for example... Many of them come to me and they ask, like, how do I hire an executive team around me who are two or three times my age? Like, I want to be able to hire great talent. There's no content that exists specifically around that because it's a very niche problem. Same thing for young investors. It's like, okay, I'm starting as an analyst. How do I move up to partner at my fund? Or if you're a student, I think in years past, your your paths were really banking, consulting, accounting, if you wanted to do some type of financial career that's opened up a lot. And now a lot of students are like, how do I become a founder? How do I become a VC? Like, what are the steps that I take? And then again, there's really very little dedicated content that exists around it. So I had this idea. I'm like, well, I have this amazing network of Gen Z VCs and young people where I can like really think thoughtfully about the type of content that I want to create. And also Gen Z and uh, Lear Hippo were investors in many Gen Z founders and Gen Z focused companies. So we thought of this, the idea for the summit, which I kind of ran behind the scenes it was a massive success. I mean, we had 3,000 plus attendees from 71 countries all over the world, 60 plus speakers. Again, amazing people like Harry Stebbings was our keynote speaker, who's a Gen Z VC. He's a founder. He's Gen Z himself. So needless to say, it was, an, it was a wonderful event. And I think more importantly, it gave so many people, A, opportunities to get involved and get leadership experience. So like I worked with 100 plus campus ambassadors from students all over the country that like wanted to get involved, spread the word, be involved. Um, We had eight student producers that I worked with closely behind the scenes, like to make it run. And, you know, we had four sessions going on at any given time throughout the day. It was like five hours long. Uh, So it was really a, a team grassroots effort on behalf of the community, right? Like we, we all just like worked together to make it work. And I think that's why it was so successful is like, I think to to resonate with the Gen Z consumer, to resonate with Gen Z broadly, there has to be this aspect of authenticity, right? And this is the first summit in our industry, Tech and VC, that was organized by Gen Z for Gen Z in every way, shape, and form. We were super thoughtful about 
having diverse perspectives, for example. I mean, Gen Z is the most diverse generation that's ever come before us, right? Um, and so every one of our panels had at least a woman of color or a, sorry, a woman or a person of color, because that's what's reflective of our generation. Like you want to see people that look like you that are doing amazing things and empower those voices. Every panel had at least one Gen Z speaker, um, could have been a student, a VC, a founder, like making sure that we're seeing representation from our generation and everything that we did. And again, all the content was geared towards young founders or people building for Gen Z to bring that sense of authenticity to the conversation. So yeah, that was the Gen Z VC Summit. It was awesome. We'll be releasing the recording soon as well. So if you weren't able to tune in live, you'll be able to sort of see the insights uh, thereafter as well. And how you produced it was amazing. I have so many questions to get into, but while we're talking about the Gen Z VC Summit, I believe you partnered with the Welcome Experience and with Intros.ai, um, and you, and partnering with those two technology companies made the experience so much more engaging and like warm and comfy, like it didn't feel like just a Zoom room. Can you talk a little bit about like how you thought about producing the experience of the talks? Of course. Yeah. And it's interesting. And again, I've never organized events before, let alone one of this size for 3000 people. I wanted to be really thoughtful about the way that I went about it and created more than anything, a magical experience. And what was great is I'm two years post-grad. I graduated in 2019 from Boston College. And my previous job, I was also an investor. I was at General Atlantic. And in that job, I was doing a lot of sourcing, meeting a lot of companies. And one of those companies that I met was Welcome, this virtual events company. That was like one of the sectors that I covered when I was at GA. And I remember like I met with the founder, Roberto, and we did a demo. And I was just blown away by the experience. Their whole thing is like we're the, basically creating the Apple keynote for everyone, like every company and startup. And so when I thought about this summit and bringing it to life, I was like, I just, all I could think of was welcome. I was like, they just had the most amazing user experience. I think they do great work to involve sponsors, for example. So like welcome actually was one of the sponsors for the summit. And we also had a bunch of other folks as well that, that came in to make it possible. But yeah, I mean, I think what I liked about welcome is it's just, it feels very intuitive and you can have like high production quality things that you do behind the scenes, like music and like overlays and transitions. And, uh, we had a whole support team, like the, well, the experience working with welcome was amazing. And then intros similar again, it was the, so one of the people on the interest team is in Gen Z VCs. And so they shot me a cold email. They were like, how are you thinking about connecting people in your community? Like, we think it's really important. We're building this product. And, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm organizing the summit actually in a few weeks. Like, why don't we trial this out at the summit? Uh, because again, I think one of the beautiful things about Gen CBCs and why it works and has grown incredibly, like entirely organically from, you know, 30 members to a thousand in four days and now 11,000, 11 months later is because you have this serendipitous connection with people that are focusing on the exact same ideas as you or not the same ideas, but in the same adjacent industry where you can really help one another and be giving first. And so I really wanted to have that one-on-one -on -one connection opportunity at the summit to continue that sort of ethos that we already see in the community. So intros enabled that for us, which we were you know, incredibly grateful for. And they work with a, a number of communities and startups. And so they were a fantastic partner. It sounds very product hunt. You grew from 30 people to 3,000 people in just four days. And now a few months later, 11,000 people. How did you grow that initial 30 to 3,000 jump? Yeah, so it was 30 to 1,000. But still, I mean, we had 3,000, I think, a month later. So it was 
all just kind of crazy. I think, and this all comes down to how do you think about growing and scaling communities? And I think what's interesting in my case was I didn't really set out to start a community. I set out to solve a problem for myself and my friends. And so when you think about me and like my journey as an investor, I joined Lear Hippo in September, 2020 during the pandemic. And as a young VC, your job is basically to go out and meet with founders, investors, be kind of the boots on the ground for your firm and, you know, network, build relationships, all these types of things. That wasn't possible for me because I was starting in, you know, during the pandemic, I was living at home with my parents and there were no VCs in sight, no founders in sight, and also no people my age at the fund. So I was the first Gen Z hire on my team. I think like, you know, 10 years or so younger than, than most of the people on the team. And, you know, I had no peers at, 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 at the firm that I could just like trade notes with and just, you know, like I came from GA where I was in a, a, a dedicated sort of program where there was like five or six analysts and at Lear Hippo, I was the only analyst. And so I turned to Twitter actually as like my outlet to kind of meet friends and engage with people my own age. And I never used Twitter before September, uh, at least professionally. So I had like 50 followers at the time our head of marketing at the time at Lear Hippo, Natalie, before I even joined, she was like, all the young people are on Twitter. You need to be on Twitter. Like, that's what we should set up on day one. And I was like, okay, great. Like, I'll start tweeting. And so Gen Z VCs actually started from a tweet. Like, I had this idea. Um, because I was the youngest person on my team, I'd oftentimes get looped into a lot of our Gen Z companies. Because again, I'm the customer of so many of these businesses that are being built for Gen Z. And they'd be like, oh, this is a Gen Z company like Megan, you're the target customer. Like, why don't you see what, see what you think? I was like, there have to be other people at other funds that are like also the Gen Z person on their team. And I don't know any of them. I want to meet them. So I did this tweet. I was like, Hey, any like Gen Z investors born after 1995 investing in Gen Z companies? Like, who are you? What are you doing? I want to compile stories and like maybe write an article or something. And then like, hundreds of people commented. And I had like, was just DMing people. And what I did was I set up calls with 71 investors all over the world, Gen Z VCs at college campuses that were doing angel investing, full-time at funds, all that kind of stuff. And I wrote my article. It was, you know, Gen Z VCs weigh in, top trends, favorite companies. And that's when I coined the term Gen Z VCs. Like, and what was amazing, again, is it blew up. Like people didn't even know Gen Zers were old enough to be doing investing. They were like, what are like Gen Z is the future? What are they thinking about? What trends are they interested in? Like, how do they think about their favorite companies? Uh, and it just blew up from there. And literally every single person, every single investor I spoke to as a part of those calls was just like, hey, who else are you meeting? Like, I also don't know anyone. I want to make friends too. And so that's how the community started. Like, I, I sent the article to everyone who I spoke to. And I was like, here's the article. Thank you so much for talking to me. Like, I, like, and being my friend. And also all of you want to meet each other. So why don't I organize, I'll put together a Slack group for us and we can chat there. Um, I organized a small zoom thereafter, like 30 people were like, yeah, like I'd love to do a zoom as well. And for me, my like favorite thing in the world are like organizing dinner parties. Obviously it's hard to replicate that experience on zoom, but what I did, and I think, again, this is why Gen Z VCs was so magical in the early days is it was like just highly curated. Like I knew all of the 71 people because I had spoken to them and I understood their interests, where they were focused at their fund, like what were their goals? What were the things that they were, that they loved doing? And so on this like first event technically in the community, which wasn't really a community, it was just a Slack group with 30 people that like from my article was 
I just organized really thoughtful breakout rooms of like people I thought would get to know, like that would be friends and like get to know each other well. And it was like instant magic. Like after that first Zoom call and the breakout rooms, I got like tons of texts from people. They were like, that was amazing. I met so many great people, people I wouldn't have met otherwise. And like, we're all grabbing dinner together on Friday from my breakout room. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then like later that day over the weekend, like over a few days, I saw our numbers just kind of like creep up and creep up from 30 to 40 and 40 to 50. And I didn't even like, I didn't even know that could happen. Like that people could just like join the community. I guess like the way I set it up, it happened that way. And I just kind of thought to myself, I was like, well, why should this like beautiful experience and like, again, I didn't even call it a community at time, like this group, why should it be limited just to the people that I spoke to as a part of my article? Like this should be open to everyone and anyone who's interested or who's working in venture wants to learn about venture because, you know, people are finding so much value. So I opened it up the like I literally did a tweet, I think a few days later on Twitter. And again, it just spread like wildfire. People were like, there's this amazing group, Gen Z VCs. It's like, you can learn about VC. People love it, whatever. And uh, yeah, it grew from 30 to a thousand business insider reached out to me and they were like, we heard your community's growing like wildfire. Can we interview you? And it's been a crazy journey from there. I mean, just again, a year ago, I had no online presence. I had 50 followers on Twitter. I had never written on Medium. Like I had no friends in venture. And now we're here. I mean, Gen Z VCs is a lot more than a community. It's a movement. It's a collective of initiatives. It's again, it's so much. And I mean, even for myself, like I've been on Bloomberg TV and Fox Business and tons of like cosmopolitan. Like I, I like read that growing up, you know, it's, it's like, it's been like a really crazy journey. I think for me as like this kind of, you know, like underdog in a lot of ways, like someone who, who's not like the typical venture investor to see like through Gen Z VCs and like all of the impact that we're doing to the community have kind of found my own voice and now empowering other people um, who are my age, younger, older uh, to be able to do the same as well and use Gen Z VCs as their platform. It's just such an incredible story. And you mentioned you'd never produced an event before. And I imagine you'd never been on national to global television before. So different questions related to both of those. I've never done any of those things before. Let's start with the event. And I'll kind of like group that in with running a community. How do you maintain sanity when you're balancing all these things? Like, how do you look at, how do you operate things so that everything is done with fluidity, that you still have all that passionate energy that you do? It's just so obvious that your energy is very light. It's not heavy. So what are you doing operationally in order to maintain the energy? I can't say there's a dedicated process <laughs> by any means. What drives me is the mission. Like I know for the summit, like you're empowering people, you're create like you're helping people, you're giving back and that's enough for me. Like, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is like, you see the immediate impact. And I mean, like it was great on summit day, we basically took over Twitter. Like you couldn't go anywhere without seeing Gen Z VCs because we had like tons of content creators that were like just creating content around like the different sessions. And one of my favorites, they, they did a hashtag Megan and Harry. Uh, cause I like, I was the one that was moderating the keynote with Harry Stebbing. So like, there was just like, there was just like great organic content and like love that we were getting everywhere. And so I guess like, again, it's, it just comes back to Gen Z VCs is more than a community. It's truly like a mission and an ethos to empower other people. Does that mean a lot of like late nights and sleepless nights and crazy weekends to like make things happen? 
yes, but I'm happy to do it. Uh, because again, it's like, it, it fuels me. It makes me like, it's, that's what energizes me. And also it helps me be that much better at my job too. Like being a community leader, having this like insight into like the Gen Z consumer and Gen Z worker and like this generation, I can be exponentially more helpful to the founders I'm working with at Lear Hippo and the founders I meet because of my network, because of the way I'm able to empower students to get involved with startups. Like there's all the different initiatives each have a mission that like comes back to either like empowerment or building relationships or, you know, one of those different types of things. Um, And so it's just like, there's just things that have to be done. And so I do them. (laughs) If you guys haven't heard Harry Stebbings podcast, we actually started podcasting around the same time. I'm such a huge fan. It's the 20 minute VC podcast. So definitely we'll include it in the show notes as well. Be sure to check that out. And so, okay. I love that Megan and Harry on Twitter. That's so, I didn't catch that on Twitter. That's so cool. So all this amazing press that you've been featured on, I mean, just like so few people in the world even have that experience. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but if it was me, I would be so intimidated. So like, did you feel like, whoa, did you feel like, oh, I got this? Like, how do you set yourself up for success on that kind of opportunity? Like everything over the past year, like I never set out to be a community leader. I never set out to be like someone who's in the press. It just happens and you learn and you iterate along the way. Like even from my first, like when I was on Fox Business earlier this year to my last appearance on Bloomberg, like I almost like I kind of see some improvement there. Like I think it's just like you learn by doing and that's kind of how I've done everything in my life. Most of the appearances that I've done and uh, opportunities in the press have all just been reporters DMing me on Twitter because, well, I'm the founder of Gen Z VCs, of course. So like I, I, but I'm also like the marketing engine for Gen Z VCs. Like people find out about our initiatives and things that we're doing from my Twitter on the preparation side, it's easy to talk about things that you love and things that you're passionate about. And for me, Gen Z VCs is like, it's about how do you help the next generation of leaders grow and learn and collaborate and work together? And it's like, how can you not be excited or to talk about that? And also like, there's no surprise questions because I am like, I am Gen Z. Like I know how to think about it from my own perspective. I have two sisters. I have tons of friends who are also Gen Z and, and also, you know, like people that help behind the scenes to like, like our, our marketing manager at Lear Hippo is great. Like for the Bloomberg interview, you know, like we ran through some questions beforehand to make sure that I felt good. And I'm still new at all of this. Like I am, I'm I'm 24. So I, I never really even, like, I never even pictured this for myself in, in a lot of ways, but it's all happened so quickly and in a really meaningful way. So I want to make sure, you know, when I am, representing like my generation and doing things like this that like I know there are a lot of students that are watching and a lot of like young women who are like oh my gosh like she did it and now I can do it too so I want to make sure I'm like really crisp and representing all the ladies in the best way that I can oh I love it that's (laughs) that's our that's our like mission statement for the show if she can do it so can I like I I and that's what I just absolutely appreciate about you is I really get this feeling that and it's so opposite, unfortunately, than so many others. You're not in it for the ego. You're in it from a place of service. And I just so admire that about you. Like every everything about your energy, about the work that you do, about the connectivity, you're just fully in it from a place of heart and service. And it's just really cool. Well, it's funny. I think like that's kind of been a thread throughout my whole life. Like I went to Boston College, which is actually a Jesuit school. 
and their whole like their mission and their their like saying is men and women for others and so like I did a lot of volunteer work and I think one of the most defining things about me or like what's helped me grow as an individual is honestly being an older sister like I love my sisters more than anything in the world and like being a leader and like showing the way and like mentor like all that like it's just what I've always done and like what I love doing more than anything in the world so I think it just like it's been just like a thread, I think, throughout my whole life. And I, I don't think that should change because of what industry I enter. Like, I think having coming from a source of like, giving back and what I've learned is that like, you give an inch, you get back a mile, like always, you know, I think the the, the giving sort of multiplies. Um, and it always finds a way of, you know, not like you help yourself, but like, more importantly, you multiply your impact across all the people that you're working with. I want to talk about Lear Hippo mainly because I want to talk about your, and not just Lear Hippo, also the experiences with a full-time job you had before this one, because you've taken this path of working with companies and building community in tandem with that. And so like, let's, let's kind of roll back to the beginning. When did you first become interested in VC and business and technology? it's a long and winding road. I will say it was definitely not like, I didn't like wake up one morning being like, I want to be an investor. It was kind of a combination of, again, I I mentioned this before learning by doing and living by experiences. And that's been a common thread. So in high school, I went to, I went to a a public school on Long Island called Sachem. It's the third largest public school in New York state, like huge giant public school. And so luckily they had a business program there. And so I took like a class called like wall street and investments as a sophomore in high school. And uh, they had this really unique partnership with Citibank, actually. So my junior year, I had my first professional internship at Citibank. And it wasn't the bank that you would typically think about. It was actually where they repaired the ATMs on Long Island. So it was like much more of a technology internship than anything. But like that was my first exposure to like the world of finance. And I loved it. I think first I kind of loved it because I loved dressing up every day. Like I had like I still have like the first suit I ever wore to like my first day of work. And I wear it sometimes just to like, bring me back. But like, I loved having like a bunch of people that I collaborated with. And I I loved having a cubicle for the first time. Like it was like all these different things where I was like, this is just like, so interesting. And I was learning at like a crazy fast pace. Like I remember, I got lucky that I was paired with the managing director of this whole division for that internship. Again, as a junior in high school, I was like learning like crazy. And I was like, I was, there was a board, there was a board meeting where it was like my boss, Walter, and then like a bunch of executives from IBM and City and a bunch of other places. And I was just like, absorbing everything. I didn't know what anything meant. But I went back to my computer afterwards. And I was googling everything. And it was just like this crazy fast pace of learning. And I think that's been a constant in like my entire business career is like, you're always there's always stuff you don't know and things that you need to like learn and ramp up on, but like, always very interesting. And then I went into Boston College undecided, but thinking I wanted to do finance. And then like my Boston college years were all about like, okay, finance, but now what, you know, what part of finance do I want to be doing? And so there were, I would say two really formative experiences, my freshman year specifically that kind of led me down like, oh, I want to be an investor. One was I was selected to go out to Omaha uh, and have dinner with Warren Buffett uh, through a program called Smart Women Securities. His most recent documentary, there's actually a group photo on the HBO documentary. He has his arm around me in the picture. That was like my first time getting to like talk to a really notable investor and ask anything and everything that I was curious about. And I was so hooked. Like 
you know, asking him about like, why are you interested in like IBM Watson? Like, why are you like, how do you think about like holding positions and like anything and everything? Also just like, what are, what were some of your weaknesses that you had to work on earlier in your career? And like, how did you think through that? Like, it was just like, it was talking to a friend. It was not like talking to Warren Buffett. It was, it was kind of, it was a really crazy experience and got to meet with his portfolio companies. Like it was just, I think a really holistic thing as like a freshman in college. Again, I was like 18 or maybe 17 years old. It was very, it was really unique and I learned a lot. And then that summer I did an amazing program called girls who invest. So again, I think like women's programs and women's empowerment have been another thread throughout my entire life that I've been very passionate about. Smart Women Securities, they have like groups basically on like a bunch of different college campuses all over the country. So SWS is like the the acronym. What they did this trip back then where like every year they'd pick 30 women from all over the country to go and do this trip. And I happened to be selected that year. I was like one of two freshmen on the trip, which was great. And then Girls Who Invest, I found through Smart Women Securities. Like it was like in one of our annual, our general meetings. And they were like, oh yeah, there's like this new program that's launching this summer. It's called Girls Who Invest. If you're interested, you should apply. And it sounded fake is the thing. Like I, 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 I actually applied the night before, which is like absolutely insane looking back. But like, it was like, okay, you get to spend four weeks at Wharton and UPenn taking classes from nine to five. It's totally free. We pay for your room and board. And then you have a six-week paid internship in asset management where you're, you know, you could be at a hedge fund or growth equity or venture, like whatever it may be. And I was like, okay, this is absolutely fake. There's no way this is real. Oh, and they were like, and you get to like, we'll take you on field trips. You'll get to like go to the New York Stock Exchange and ring the closing bell, like ridiculous things. And I was like, this is fake, but I'll apply anyways. And I got in. And again, it was a group of 30 women selected from all over the country to go to, to Wharton and do the whole thing. Now... I was in the first cohort. Uh, we were kind of the guinea pigs. Um, now Girls to Invest, we're like five or six years in. There's like 500 plus alumni, like an amazing network. I'm now on the advisory board. So I like help think a lot more about like the strategy of the organization and all that kind of stuff. But back to the freshman cohort in that summer, I was at a hedge fund. Uh, again, like a crazy experience where I was like the only person under the age of 30 in the whole fund. And I was covering the grocery sector. So like what I would do after work every day was I would go to like my grocery stores and pull together like my own proprietary data set. And I put together this whole investment pitch that I like, I pitched it to Richard Perry of Perry Capital. And it was just an incredible experience. And where I was covering retail and consumer, it was so tangible. And I got to like do a deep dive in an industry, like present for the first time. And I was just absolutely hooked. I learned that I didn't want to be in the public markets per se, because, uh, you know, I learned very quickly that public markets are very volatile and, <laughs> The fund ended up closing actually a few months after I left. But like that was where I was like, okay, I want to be an investor. Now it's just a matter of finding like anything and everything that I can do in between. And so then I was just internships after that. Like I worked 10 to 15 hours a week at a financial services growth equity firm nearby Boston College that I would do in addition to like two other campus jobs. And then General Atlantic was what I did my junior summer and then after post-grad as well, where I joined full time, which they're like a later stage 30 or $50 billion growth equity fund um, focused on technology. And so, yeah, there was a lot. I, oh, there was also a, a, a class in college I took. There was a lot. There was a lot, <laughs> needless to say. When did you discover Lira Hippo? Yeah, so it was actually during the time that I was working at GA. Like my job was, I was doing a lot of sourcing. So I would send like 100 cold emails a week to founders, almost like a sales job in a lot of way, but also like thematic work and 
sourcing trips. So like I would go to LA, for example, like once a quarter and meet with companies and, and founders and CEOs when I was out there. I ended up actually covering and meeting a lot of Lear Hippo portfolio companies like during my time at GA. And, you know, I also just I think I'm someone who's like very reflective about like my career decisions and the way that I think about, you know, what's important to me. Um, and I kind of like I, I looked internally at myself and like my experience at GA, which was, you know, great. And I learned a ton in my year there. But I think one thing that was really important to me was like, I wanted to work with more women. And like when I looked at Larry Hippo's website, there were more women than men on their investment team, which I'd like never seen before. I was like, that's really unique. I love All Rays. So like I went to the All Rays conference and like that was kind of the precipice, I would say, where I like really took a hard look at like, wow, like I need to be working with more women who am, who like I would look up to. And like, that's that's what I want. The other thing was I wanted to do more than just technology. Like at GA, I was on the tech team and I covered 10 to 12 different subsectors while I was there, but I had less exposure to fintech and healthcare tech and pure offline consumer. I wanted to be doing that. And then also what I realized very quickly in my time at GA was like, I so gravitated towards earlier stage companies. Like I think being able to work hand in hand with founders and like on really hard problems and at the earliest stages when they're starting their businesses, like that's what I got the most excited about. And at the growth stage, there's just a lot less of that because like they kind of have already found product market fit. They just need capital to grow. And then like you kind of farm off those different things to different people on the GA team. So it was really a combination of a lot of those things. And also like I looked at all the, particularly the consumer companies that I look up to, like I love Glossier. I'm a Glossier girl, like love it, love it. And I love Mirror. And I looked like there were like these amazing companies founded by female founders. And like, what was the common thread among these companies? It was Lear Hippo. And so that's exactly what I did when I wrote my cold email to Andrea Hippo, who's, who's now a partner. She was a principal at the time. Uh, and I looked at her on her page on the website and she, it said something about her working with Mirror, like loving Mirror in some way, shape or form. So I was like, I just want to meet her and get to know her. And so I shot her a cold email, hoping maybe that they'd be hiring at some point, but no expectation that they would be. Um, just being like, hey, we cover a lot of the same spaces. I work with a lot of your portfolio companies. I'd love to meet. And like, I probably have some like interesting companies that you guys like could see because you're doing earlier stage. And oh, like if you happen to be hiring in the next few months, let me know. Uh, and it like it was just perfect timing, too, because like I actually didn't even see their application process before. I like I just I, got, I emailed Andrea before they were even hiring. And I'm happy that happened that way because I didn't meet the requirements. Yeah, they were looking for someone with like two to three plus years of full-time experience. I had five months of full-time experience at the time. So very much so not the like ideal candidate on paper, but I hustled and made a bunch of intros and like showed them a lot of my thematic work and like made it clear that I was the right person and I was the youngest person they interviewed. I was the least experienced. I hope to think that they they think I've I've done a, you know, that I've, I've proven myself over the past year. <laughs> 100%. How could they not? I just gave a talk yesterday at the Blog Her uh, event, and I shared that my mom always says not to close your own door. And I feel like that's a perfect example of not closing your own door. Now, your path has sounded... And I think it's actually really deserving because you're, like I've said, you're such a champion of people. And I think what you're doing with all your opportunity is so amazing. Your path has sounded really fluid. Like everything has just kind of come to you and you've attracted it. 
if if anybody's going to attract that level of opportunity, I'm glad it's been you because you're using it in such a dynamic way to serve others. That being said, what do you think has been like a huge obstacle you've successfully overcome and how have you overcome it? And has it not been as fluid as it seems to me? What I will say is that I actually don't believe that opportunities have come for me. I've like had to fight and claw for like any given opportunity. So like every job I've ever had has been like literally pure force of will. Like getting hired at Lyra Hippo was pure force of will, like begging Andrea to talk to me and then like hustling to show that I could like get the job and like do the thing. And even in college, the the growth equity internship I mentioned before, uh, well, actually both, like literally every job I've ever had has been me just like literally knocking down doors when no one wants to talk to me. <laughs> my growth equity internship, my sophomore year, again, I was a, it was my, I think sophomore spring, I saw a job posting on like Boston College's campus where they were looking for a senior to come on part-time. Obviously, I was two years younger than they were expecting. And when I submitted my application, they didn't respond or like give me any feedback. So I showed up at their door with a cover letter and I was like, hey, I worked at a hedge fund last summer. I know I can do this job. If you just give me like a few week trial, like I'll prove that I can do it and do it well. And so they did. They were like, okay, like she's ballsy. Like, well, well, like, and they loved me. And I came back the next semester. I kept doing work for them and it was great. Even for General Atlantic, I was actually, so I was the only woman in my summer intern class that summer. I was their first hire. And again, I basically was hired when they weren't recruiting. I like had to chase that opportunity. I was also the first person they hired in their analyst program, not from like an Ivy League school. So Boston College is a great school in its own right, but like there's no on-campus recruiting at BC or, you know, people that are like fighting to hire BC grads. Like I think I literally had to, again, fight and claw for every opportunity and GA was no exception. I knew I wanted to work in growth equity or venture capital. I went to Girls Who Invest and I was like, hey, I know that GA is a partner firm of the fund. Like they won't talk to me. Can you guys like at least like give me their resume and cover letter? And I like hounded Girls Who Invest to actually send my cover letter to GA. And again, like I talked, I talked to an analyst there. They're like, yeah, we're not hiring. But like I came in like wildly prepared. I put together like a four page prep document, like anything and everything in between. I, again, like thematically, I was like, these are the areas I was interested in. And then I did that first call. I made a really good first impression. And then they reached back out the next day. They were like, actually, do you want to meet like four of our partners next week? We'd love to think about having you be on our analyst class. So it's like, it seems very fluid, but like everything I've ever done has been people at least telling me no first and me like, proving and hustling like I'm like I feel like I have definitely like an underdog complex I think in a lot of ways because even when you think about like what is an invest what does a venture investor look like it's definitely not a 24 year old woman that went to public school and like a non-ivy league school like that's like not the that's not what you think of but like that doesn't mean that I can't be a great investor and I'm certainly not there yet I have a lot of learning and work to do but like I have every right to be here and to show that I can, I can do the work. So I think it's a long way to answer. You create opportunities for yourself. If you don't ask, you don't get, if you don't like, you just have to like literally knock down doors and show people that you deserve to be in the room. Is, is it. Another saying my mom has is every no is one step closer to a yes. <laughs> we have so much more in common than I would have ever thought. And it's something that I think would benefit everybody. So I'm going to share a couple, uh, a couple stories really short that resonate. 
because how you have gone after your opportunities. So I'm sure you're familiar with Sequoia Capital, but for everybody who's not familiar with Sequoia Capital, they're one of the world's largest venture capitalists. And I read about them um, and I didn't really understand what venture capital was. I didn't really understand what Sequoia was, but I understood they had business dealings with people that I wanted to be a part of, like YouTube and this kind of thing. And so I was like, I'm going to I'm going to fly to Sequoia in Silicon Valley and I'm going to see I'm going to meet with them. But I didn't start there. First, I emailed everybody on the website and nobody wrote me back. And then I got a plane ticket to San Francisco, borrowed my friend's car. I before going there, I wrote out a business plan to match the Sequoia website, what they were asking for and the business card uh, like that they wanted, went in, showed up. And I said, hey, like, I'm here to see so-and-so because there was a name resonating with me with somebody who I had emailed and they met with me. And it wasn't till after that I found out that was impossible to get a meeting with Sequoia Capital. And so I think the reason why I share that story right now is because I think it's so important to just create your own life. And it's what I admire about you so much is like, here is the life that I I, Megan, want to create and I'm going to go out and create it no matter if no one's writing me back or if people have told me no or if whatever it is, I'm going to go out there and create my own life. So that's one thing I wanted to share. And then the second thing is the way you built Gen Z VC is the same way I built We Are LA Tech. Person by person, phone call by phone call, dinner party by dinner party, <laughs> like just cultivating really meaningful relationships with people and then being really thoughtful when connecting them together. And then that creates a really safe environment for that people trust and they want to lean into and, and refer because they're like, this is the place to go to get the help that I need. So I think it's important in a world where sometimes we feel so defined by rules or defined by, you know, vanity or in a world where, you know, we think that we need to scale in order to grow where all these other fancy startup terms. It's really just about creating the life that you want to create and creating the most impact in the most authentic way. And that sometimes is a really slow process, but a process completely worth it. Yeah. The last couple questions I'd love to know is one, what is your favorite tool? It could be a mobile app or website. Yes. So my favorite, I'm obsessed with the Goody app. Have you used it? I don't know. What's the Goody app? Tell me. It's a gift giving app, which again is like very on theme with like everything that I love. Like I gift giving, I, mean, I forget what I said before, but like gift giving is actually probably my favorite thing in the whole world. So I love like surprising my friends with gifts and being really thoughtful. And what Goody lets you do is basically they have a marketplace of like all these different types of goods, effectively like great gifts. Like you can give someone like loops, face masks or like I think like milk bar, like, like, and basically just surprise them. So they don't need to, you don't need to ask for their address. Like if you have their phone number, basically you just send them a goodie gift. And I love using it and I use it all the time. So I'm like the queen of giving gifts. Uh, and so goodie is definitely my favorite tool that I use on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh, day-to-day. -day. Nice. I like that you don't have to get people shipping address because sometimes that's so invasive. Exactly. It's, and you also you could just surprise people. Like if you know, they're having a hard day, or like they're not feeling well. It's just like, it's the little things that make people's day, you know? And I, 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 I love my, like, I love my people, you know, I love, and I, I love making them feel happy and special. So Goody helps me do that really easily. 
And what's the best piece of advice that you've gotten throughout your career? I think like, honestly, that age is just a number. Like you create your own destiny, you create your own path. Like, again, we we talked a little bit about this before, but like, I think you can learn just as much from someone who's younger than you as you can from someone who's older than you. You can do great work. Like, I mean, like there, so there's actually a lot of high school students in Gen Z VCs, one of whom was actually like hired as an intern onto like one of our partner programs that we did through the beta club uh, company called buzzer. And like, you know, like he was the most engaged user in their Slack group. It didn't matter how old he was. He was just obsessed with the product, adding great feedback, um, to their, to the buzzer team. And like, they were like, we don't care how old he is. Like we want him on our team. We want to like work with him and like share insights. Like that's just like a great example, but like, I just think like age is just a number, like you prove your own destiny and you can learn from anyone and everyone. I would say don't underestimate Gen Z. We're making moves every day and doing big things. <laughs> and is there a book that you recommend we read or a podcast we listen to or a YouTube channel we watch, whatever is more authentic to you? So gotta say 20 BC. I love Harry Stebbings. I think he's a, he's a great mentor to me. And he was also like a, a big introduction to the VC world for me. I, for a, cl- a class in college, uh, I had, I was covering Sequoia Capital. So that's actually something that we have in, in common where we, we went out and I got to, I basically had to set up like a meet and greet with Pat Grady. Um, and so I had to listen to Harry's episode of 20 VC with Pat Grady as like one of my like assignments or whatever. So like, that was like, I've been kind of following Harry's career from afar. And now like, since I'm now in the industry, he's become a close friend and a mentor. Um, so I love everything he does. Uh, so I would have to say 20 BC. As far as reading, I like, this is like super lame, but I read like the Twilight books every year. It's, it's so weird. But I think when I escape from like work, I want to just like, read ridiculous, like, fiction, honestly. And so I've, I became obsessed with the Twilight books in sixth grade. And I don't think I'll ever stop reading them, which is maybe a little quirky, but, uh, it's, it's me. I feel like I should do that to chill out <laughs> and enhance my creativity. And it wouldn't feel right if we didn't, you know, talk about, um, Lear Hippo before, you know, wrapping up our conversation for everybody looking to raise right now or wanting to form a relationship with Lear Hippo. What's the best way to do that? How can they be a part of the Lear Hippo ecosystem? I mean, reach out to me. I, I think like the benefit of being a young investor is like you kind of have to make yourself accessible. And it's something that I'm like incredibly passionate about. The last deal I sourced actually at Lair Hippo came from a cold email from a founder. They had read one of my articles. They reached out to me. We set up a call and like a few months later, we're we're investors. Like I think like literally the best way to reach me is emailing me and it's just Megan at LairHippo.com. But yeah, like there's, I think it's, again, all you have to do is like, again, take that first step. It doesn't matter if you don't think you're qualified or like you don't think you're right, but whatever, like all you can do is try and the worst people could say is no. And I like to think that I'm someone who's like a friendly face in the ecosystem and welcoming and helpful to everyone that I meet. So if you shoot me an email, that's definitely the best way. And um, I, you know, I obviously work for the Lear Hippo team and love working with our founders. So I hope to meet many of you soon. And any particular kind of company that that they want? I know different firms focus on different types of investments. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a seed stage focused fund. So I think, and the definition of seed has changed a lot over the years. I would say like 1.5 to like $5 million rounds are kind of our sweet spot. But um, at the end of the day, we love working. Like we're, 
at seed stage more, more, I think than anything, you're investing in people. And we think a lot about founder market fit. Like why is this person best positioned to build in this particular market? And like, how do they think about these big problems? And so I think more than anything, it's like the, really the person, but uh, seed is definitely our focus. And we're also the most active early stage investors in New York, but we invest all over the country. So I have portfolio companies in Austin and San Francisco and LA and all over the place. But like, I would say we have like the most, well, 60% of our portfolio is in New York. So we work with a ton of New York based founders as well. What do you think it takes to be a strong community leader? Honestly, in my opinion, the best community leaders are honestly just the best listeners. To be a good community leader, you have to be a good listener. Listen to the problems that your members are experiencing in the community and then make solutions around that. Every initiative that I've launched within GenVCs has been solving a direct problem because people come to me with what they're struggling with. With the Beta Club, it was students that wanted exposure to entrepreneurship, didn't have clubs on their campus. They're like, how do I meet founders? How do I get exposure to these companies? The Beta Club, for the first time, is connecting students with founders that are building for Gen Z, where students can add a lot of value, but they can also learn a lot and get direct experience working with these startups. For the mentorship program, it was students in the community and young people in the community, young investors that were starting for the first time and didn't have people to turn to. Like, So we created the first global peer mentorship program. We had 108 universities represented in our first cohort. Again, people were just looking for mentorship older people in VC wanted to give back, we connected the dots. I think, and all of these stemmed from just keeping an ear to the ground, talking to people and just being there, being a good listener um, for the things that they were struggling with and creating meaningful, impactful solutions for them. And that's how you grow the brand too. It's like, if you're building an authentic brand where you're solving authentic problems for your community, the brand will grow, the community will grow. Uh, and that's the center of Gen Z VCs. Awesome. And people can connect with you on Twitter and email. Can you spell your email for everybody and your your Twitter? And we'll also include it in the show notes, of course. Great. Of course. Yeah. So it's uh, Megan at Learheppo.com. So M-E-A-G-A-N at L-E-R-E-R-H-I-P-P-E-A-U.com. So that's my email. And then my, my Twitter is just Megan Loist, M-E-A-G-A-N-L-O-Y-S-T. Uh, and you can find me there as well. And all the, I, I post a lot of like threads about Gen Z and spaces that I'm tracking and Gen Z, all the Gen Z VC events and initiatives that we do are launched from my personal Twitter. So, uh, so yeah, you want to keep up with Gen Z VCs, the things I'm doing at Lyra Hippo and all that kind of stuff, follow me and uh, you'll, you'll see it there. Megan, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. It's been absolutely inspiring to hear your story. To connect and collaborate with more phenomenal women in tech all around the world, definitely check out the Women in Tech community at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye, guys. Hi, my name is Megan Loist. I'm an investor at Lyra Hippo, where we're the most active early stage investors in New York. And also I'm the founder of Gen Z VCs, which is the largest and fastest growing community for young people in tech and VC with 11,000 plus members in our global community. I'm based here in New York City and you're listening to Women in Tech. 
The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.